for the blessings that you've given us in our life. We thank you for our Holy Bible, this King James Bible that you preserved without error. We thank you for salvation by grace through faith alone, Father. We thank you for the awesome, terrible doctrine that's full of hope, but also causes us to be cautious and careful. We thank you for the prize of the coming kingdom. Lord, we do ask today that we will understand, I will, that you'd help me preach it right. In the name of the Lord Jesus, in these last days, amen. I'm a priest today on irreverence, the forgotten sin, the forgotten sin. I want you to look in chapter 10, verse 4. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Now we've seen before from the following verses that there's a danger, a sin, in authority to not lead diligently. And although an authority can leave his place outside of proper boundaries by ruling too harshly or not in his proper realm, we saw last week that there is another side, two sides of the canoe. An authority can leave their place by not ruling diligently. For example, when the parent becomes the child, the authority has now left his or her place. There's a role reversal, a sinful role reversal. There is confusion. I called it the forgotten side of authority because nobody wants to talk about it anymore. It's often a result of pride, laziness, to be passive and slack and inconsistent. Sometimes the authority will need to be told to gird up your loins like a man, quit yourself like a man, man up, cowboy up. In other words, lead or sit down and let somebody else do it. Even then, you might not be in a situation where you can get out of the way. If you're called to be a mother, you can't sit down and let somebody else do it. You have to be the mother. You can't come down to the level of your children. You can't be a slave in your house to your children. You can't surrender your authority, even though it appears to be easier to do so. But around here, we're called Long Run Baptist Church, Long Run Baptist, reminding you to live your life in light of the long run, the big picture. In other words, it's about the reaping. Think of that. Think of the end of the matter in regard of your in regard of concerning your children. But I'm not going to preach the same message today. We want to move on, but we do need, need reminding. We need reminding. Peter said we need reminding. But verse 4 is not about the, leave, the, the, the leader leaving his place, though that's how some wrongly misinterpret it. The reason they misinterpret it, because they can't imagine 
a spirit of a ruler rising up against anybody. Because we're living in this milk toast, fluffy, confused age where you have been programmed to believe that the authority is supposed to be the one in obedience to you. We're so confused and out of order today. Of course the spirit of the ruler can rise up against you. And the Bible's saying, when this happens, leave not your plates. For yielding pacifies great offenses. The offense is in the person under authority. You've done something wrong. Your authority is rising up against you. Maybe it's the mother correcting the child. Whatever realm, whether in the family, in the state, in the church, in the workplace. Solomon is saying if you stay in your place, it has an effect upon authority to mitigate, to soften, to lessen the anger that is now against you. In other words, it pacifies your offense, even great offenses. So your attitude in receiving correction, Solomon is saying, is a major key. Major key. What we're learning here is this, and it's going to be shocking. It's going to be shocking to this age. It is proper for a ruler to correct Whoever is under the ruler when you are out of line. I, I know that's shocking. I, I know this is a hard message to preach today. But it is proper, teenager, for your mother to get on you when you're doing something wrong. It's proper to tell you you're doing something wrong. It's proper to tell you again if you're doing something wrong. It's proper for every realm of authority to reprove, to correct those that are under his or her authority. What does it mean for the spirit of the ruler to rise up? The spirit in the Bible is the mind. And in many verses, it's the expression outwardly of the inward mind. Therefore, you will find it sometimes synonymous with the countenance, the attitude. So it's saying, his anger, the spirit of anger, his determination to deal with the problem or the sin. So if the spirit of the ruler, his countenance, his anger, Rise up against thee. In other words, he's angry with you. He's correcting you. Leave not your place. That means don't you try to boss the ruler. Don't you talk back and become the ruler and expect the ruler now to be corrected by you. For when you talk back to the ruler, you are now putting yourself in place of the ruler and you just corrected the ruler as if he is to submit to your authority. You got backwards. You are now upside down. You have the audacity, the presumption to tell him he is wrong for correcting when that is his place. 
but you had the presumption and pride and arrogance and haughtiness to now put yourself in the place of the ruler and dare to correct the ruler. And he's to receive your correction. But you're not to receive his. That is an amazing, an amazing thing. And I'm going to tell you, it's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Because the Bible said this is how it would be in the last days. And when the Bible says it'll be this way in the last days, it's saying so as if you will not believe it. It is, it is an amazing thing. It is a shocking thing. It's going to be perilous in the last days because this is how it's going to be. Today we have a whole generation, actually a few generations back now, that have never been trained in dealing with authority. God forbid that you're 80 years old and you have never yet understood authority, never yet modeled it, never yet understood how to deal with authority. It's hurt everybody. As these generations have passed and they've left their teaching and their training and their example, and it's getting worse and worse and worse every generation. Everybody's been hurt. The family's been hurt. The church has been hurt. Our nation has been hurt. Where's it coming from? Uh, it, it, Solomon says in the next verse, it's coming from the ruler for not enforcing it. But it's coming from your example. You ever seen a teenager mouth off at the mother and use language? Where did they get that? Where did they get that personality? Where did they get that facial expression? And a lot of times it's the boy watching the mother deal with the husband and he is, he is seeing how to respond to authority. He's watching uh, his dad deal with his boss or deal with his pastor or deal with an elderly man. He's watching authority be modeled. Uh, he's watching the response to authority be modeled by the mother and by the father. If he even has a father. Where else is it coming from? The Bible says evil communications corrupt good manners. It says be not deceived. Be not deceived because you're going to be deceived about this. You're going to think it will not affect you. But when you put your children down before families and they watch families on TV and they see young people, it is natural for them to say this is how I'm supposed to be. Wives see other women talking to their husbands and they watch movie after movie after movie. This is how I'm supposed to be. Especially when it's celebrated and glorified that you don't, you, I tell you what, you tell off authority. You stand up and you tell off that authority. You tell off your husband. You tell off your dad. You tell off your mother. Evil communications corrupt good manners and so-called Christian or family movies and television shows are turned on in the living room of millions of Christian families. I have one hour every single week and you expect pulpit preaching to somehow or another overcome the influence of 12, 20, 25 hours of you watching, your children watching, the opposite of what you ought to be doing, being modeled before you. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. There's no battlement around the living room anymore. 
It said in the Old Testament that when you get on top of your house where everybody associates and hangs out and enjoys the cool of the evening and they have family time together, you're to have a battlement built all the way around your roof so nobody falls off your living room and dies. God says that you are, the blood will be upon your head if somebody gets hurt in your living room. Does that not tell us that your living room ought to be a place of safety? That when the Christian family sits down for amusement or fellowship, that there ought to be safety? Are the living rooms of American Christians today safe? Are the bedrooms safe? Now they put televisions and computers and cell phones and iPads and all kinds of video games in the, living, in the bedroom of the children. And they're up till 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the morning. Nobody knows what they're doing. I think the Lord has some verses about that. If one of these little ones, you cause one of these little ones to stumble, to be offended. Some good people argue. I didn't think it was all that bad. The founder of the church of Satan said decades ago that the television has become the satanic altar and it's filled with satanic rituals. He laughed to see what was coming across the television. He says, we don't have to have a satanic ritual. We have Christians performing satanic rituals in their home. If they take a little child's innocence and try to, to, try to ruin it, well, what's going on in the homes of Christian America? You're taking innocent children and ruining their... In what could be a greater sa sacrifice? What could be a greater satanic ritual than what you did to your children? Children, your virgin daughters. It's a dangerous place in the living rooms of Christian America today. Good people argue the show didn't take the name of the Lord in vain. It didn't show gory violence. It didn't show suffering with satanic detail. It didn't show pornography or nakedness. It's not glorifying magic or sorcery. So it's all good. Is it? Is it? They're like the Christians in the 1930s when the infamous humanist and God-hater Charles Potter said that Christians are so foolish they think that evolution is the only anti-God, anti-biblical thing taught in public schools. He was laughing. They, they just think evolution is the only thing we have in this school. He said public, public school is a humanist education. It is humanist church, said Charles Potter. And it is a, a five-day-a-week indoctrination in anti-God humanist values. He laughed. He said Christians are so naive about what we're doing to them. What would they say now about Hollywood and television. We already know Anton LaVey laughed and laughed and laughed at what Christians were doing. Now, listen to me. I posed a question, or I'll pose it now. Is it wrong to take the name of the Lord in vain? The Lord said, I will not hold him guiltless. Is it wrong to view violence 
in a detailed way that, that, that is leading to bloodlust and gore and some type of sick, depraved, warped mind? Is it wrong to view pornography and nakedness and glorify magic and sorcery? I hope you would understand that these things are wrong. So that leads me to ask the question, Is just because a movie does not have these things, does that mean it is nevertheless pure and wholesome? But you know what? Today... Too many modern Christians don't even care about gore. They don't even understand it. They say, well, they killed people in the Bible. And so somehow or another, they have the idea because Samuel killed somebody in the Bible that this means that we ought to get a close-up picture and watch it while you eat popcorn and actually see all the gory detail. Uh, you, you've lost your mind. Because something happened in the Bible doesn't mean that it's going to put the image before you over and over and over again. Hitler did that. Hitler did that and, and commanded whoever was around him to watch that gore every single night. And you see how that ended up. You see how that ended. It's satanic to want to see blood and gore and torture. It is satanic. In fact, that's how they get you in these satanic cults. They, they take you step by step from the torturing of animals higher and higher and higher, see. This is what, you've, this is what they've done to you in America. They've desensitized you to where you don't even care anymore. How many Christians even care about pornography or nakedness anymore? What about taking the name of the Lord in vain? How many of you will sit, and I'm speaking not to just this audience, but anybody that is out here listening to the message, how many would be watching a movie and see them take the name of the Lord in vain and not get up and slam the computer off or the video screen and say, we're not watching this trash. They just cussed my Lord. They just called, called my Jesus a, a wizard. We're not going to watch somebody take the name of the Lord. They didn't cuss Buddha. They didn't cuss Muhammad. They didn't cuss some humanist founder. They cussed our Lord and our God, and I'm not going to put up with it in my home. How many men will stand up and do that? How many mamas would say, I'm not going to watch this trash. They just cussed Jesus. Oh, but they got you into the show before the cuss word came. Now you want to see what happens next. So what you do is you sear your conscience. As you realize they just cussed Jesus and you say, I wish they hadn't done that. And now you're going to continue to have fellowship with that which just blasphemed your Lord. God forbid. But there are a few. There are some left that care enough about these things that they'll get up and say, we're not going to watch this filth. I'm not going to watch something with sorcery and pornography and gory violence. I'm not going to watch something that cusses my Lord. We're not going to watch these things in our house. But they appear to be totally in the dark about this thing that relates to our sermon today. Let me give you a verse in 1 Samuel 28. Very important. I want you to notice some things here. Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits, devil-possessed people in touch with spirits, and the wizards out of the land. I want you to look at those verses, those words. He put away. 
He got it out of the land, not just out of his house, out of the land. There's no wizards. There's no witches. There's no psychics. There's no people with devils. I tell you what, if they are, they're going to be way out somewhere where he can't find them because he had eradicated them out of the land. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you even here yet? Or are you bringing wizards into your home? Are you bringing computer games with wizards and witchcraft and new age sorcery into your home? Are you bringing books and comic books? Are you, are you surfing YouTube videos and all kinds of mess that's full of garbage? Are you watching Disney and all kinds of movies filled with witchcraft and new age and sorcery? Or do you even have the holiness of King Saul? Forget being a man or woman after God's own heart. Are you even yet a King Saul? Saul would not permit this mess in the land. But how many permitted in their own living room gladly? In their children's bedroom even. The most precious thing you have. Is witchcraft a game? Is it funny? Is it cute? Are super witchcraft powers... And occult powers, is that funny? Is that cute? I'm going to tell you something right now. If the churches out here today who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would arrive at even the holiness of King Saul, we'd be in much better shape in America. If you would just have the holiness of King Saul... What changes would be wrought in our country? If Christians took a stand on witchcraft and wizards and sorcery, if the fundamental Baptist Christians that can sit and listen to a sermon like this, but yet go home and do nothing in their home to fix what's already messed up, wow. You know, we got hardness of heart today, don't we? We've got some stubbornness today, don't we? We've got a seared conscience. That's just pastor. He's just going off again. But, but you know, it's not going to bother my son. We could do superheroes and wizards and occultism and sorcery, and we're still going to get the blessing of the Lord upon our children. Don't you think for a moment that the holiness of Saul is our standard or that this is enough to protect you and your family because it was not enough to allow Saul to retain the kingdom. He lost the kingdom, but he had that much holiness. Don't make putting away magic and sorcery your only standard for entertainment. Learn from the rebuke of Samuel to Saul. And you better do it before you, like Saul, lose the kingdom. 1 Samuel 15, Samuel, through the Holy Ghost, says to Saul, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he also hath rejected thee from being king. If we can be deceived by not realizing that evil communications corrupt good manners and that a companion of fools will be destroyed, then you also have to realize that your choices for amusement will affect your heart and your manners. 
It's said often that we are physically what we eat. And this is largely true. Likewise, you are spiritually, in your Christian walk, what you read, what you listen to, who you hang around, what you feed on, and what you watch. Amen. I've been doing this a long time, and I have never yet, never yet, never yet, never yet seen a strong Christian who could overcome in the Lord whatever Satan throws at him or her who was feeding on a diet of entertainment compromise. I will say it again. Those who are compromised in their music, in their book reading, in their entertainment, in their movie watching, I have never seen one survive. I have never seen one survive that the devil didn't end up getting them. It took a while maybe to show the corruption that was already that cancer, that moral cancer that was eating away inside. It took a while because on the outside it looked like everything was alive. But all of a sudden you start realizing that thing was poisoning from the inside. And after a while it starts showing itself on the outside and then they're dead. So let us learn. You have your standard for entertainment, for books, for TV, for movies, for computer games. Well, you've started. I'm glad you have a standard. You say no glorification of witchcraft in our computer games, in our movies, in our TV. Well, how do you know what your child's doing? Do you monitor your child? Do you have some type of control on your child's cell phone or iPad or whatever the latest gadget is to destroy the soul of your child? How do you know what your child is doing? But you say, no, no, we have a standard. We don't allow wicked filth in our home as far as New Age movement and sorcery and magic. You say, I put the wizards and the familiar spirits out of the land. We used to have them, but I put them out of the land. I put them out of my house, out of my living room, out of my child's bedroom. But then you say, like Saul, to the preacher. 1 Samuel 15, verse 13, Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. How so? How so? You said, because I've sought the Lord in how to raise my children and lead my household. It says in Judges 13, Manoah said, How shall we order the child, and how shall we do unto him? You say you've searched the Scriptures, and unlike so many in this age, you have protected your household from devilish sorcery, from magic, and such like. You say there are no video games or movies or TV shows or music that glorifies satanic power that the Lord hates. You've read with holy fear... Exodus 22, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. That's what God thinks about it. But I'm going to tell you something, church of God. There are witches living and thriving in the homes of many believers. There are witches in the heart of Christian children because they have been exposed to Wicca and witchcraft right there. They're talking to fairies. They believe they have fairies in their room. You have children that have been so exposed to witchcraft that, that, that they are so confused. Oh, the witches are living today. You read the statistics of what's happening to teen girls in America today. 
It says in Deuteronomy 18, For all, all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And I'm going to tell you one thing, you better get it straight about the Bible. God has not changed His view of what's abominable. God did not in the Old Testament say, that is disgusting. And in the New Testament say, but I like it now. Our God changeth not. He might change some ceremonial things, but He doesn't change what's disgusting. All that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. What do you do with a witch? You drive it out of your living room. What did Saul do? He drove him out of the land. What did God do? He said, I command you to drive these wizards and sodomites and everything else out of the land. Praise God in the New Testament when they got saved. Look at Acts 19. Many of them, because everybody didn't do it, but many of them also which use curious arts. Are there curious arts in your home? You're messing around with some essential oil magic? I don't know if you'll find a preacher. Maybe somewhere, but I don't know if you'll find a preacher that's more into natural health, defying the pharmaceutical garbage, than me. So I'm all for herbs and, and essential oils and all those natural things, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not for witchcraft. You understand that? I'm not for witchcraft. And I believe we ought to drive out anything that has to do with magic and witchcraft. Whether it's on your computer game or in your movie or on your television show or in your book. And praise God. It says that those that use curious arts brought their books together. You know why they did that, Church of God? Because they didn't have CDs. They didn't have DVDs. They didn't have computer videos. You understand why they burned books? Because the devil didn't have any other way to give them magic. If they'd had videos, if they'd had CDs and DVDs, they'd been burning that too. They brought their books together and they burned them before all men. Why did they do that? As a witness. As a witness. They're letting their family know. They're letting their neighborhood know. I'm not into magic no more. See? Don't send none of that magic computer game garbage over here. Don't, don't send any of that superhero garbage occultism to our house. We're burning it. Anything dealing with magic and sorcery and occultism, we burn. And we're going to do it publicly before everybody. We're not doing this in our backyard where nobody sees it. We're going to burn this garbage and we're going to let everybody know what we stand for. We're for the only true God and His power, not sorcery and occultism. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. That is some money. Oh, the church buildings, they could have built with that stuff. Wow! What amazing amount of money! What did God think of it? So mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. I'm going to tell you, you start getting that spirit to start burning the magic books, to start burning the secret and how to get rich by positive thinking and all this other garbage in the shack and all this other Harry Potter stinking garbage mess, some of these superhero garbage mess and all of these occult power video games and child's toy. You start getting all this stuff out of your home and say, Pastor, let's have a burning party and let's advertise it and let's let everybody know we're going to do it and we're going to burn this stuff. I tell you, the Word of God will prevail. God God will start blessing, and I tell you, He'll start adding to you, and the Word of God will grow with power. There it is. 
That's at least putting away the magic books and the games and the movies. Have you done that yet? If you haven't done that yet, then you can't even begin to say with Saul, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But I want you to notice. I want us to hear the Lord and I want to hear it well in our age. If you're not even at the holiness of Saul, when are you going to get there? When are you going to quit justifying your magic? When are you going to quit justifying your curious arts? And I'm going to tell you, they warned you down through history. Anytime Christians start messing around, horrible things happen. Because you're opening up to the devil. You understand that? God says that, that the wicked one touches us not because we keep ourselves. You understand that? God does put a hedge about us. But when you open yourself up and open your home and open your children up to this type of stuff, horrible things happen. The Salem witch trials was a result. I documented in my book, the, the Salem witch trials was a result of good people messing around with magic unaware. See, Nazi Germany was a result of common people turning to magic and psychics before he ever came to power. See, you need to understand, bloodshed, destruction is going to be the result of you messing around with magic. We don't always have the opportunity to force witchcraft out of this nation. But we have freedom of speech, whether the government recognizes it or not. We have a right, a responsibility before God to stand up and oppose sin. We have a responsibility to stand up and say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. It's legal, they say, it's still wrong. I was on Canadian radio, and I went to preaching against Satanism and Harry Potter, and I was debating this other fella, and all of a sudden I started talking about Wicca and witchcraft being evil, and they stopped me and said, that's illegal in Canada. We can't talk about Wicca. Illegal or not. This is wicked from hell. It's wrong. It's wrong. Witchcraft is wrong. You might not have power to drive it out of this nation other than by being a prophet and rebuking and standing against it. But I'm going to tell you something. You have the power, a little bit left, of your authority in your home to drive it out of your home. And you better use it while you still have it because they're trying to take that away. They're trying to take that away. Not very long from now, there's going to be some daddies going to jail. Why? There's going to be daddies losing their children. It's already happening all over America. Why? Simply because they say, I don't want witchcraft in my home. I don't want witchcraft in my home. I want you to notice even the holiness of Saul, for we are not yet finished. 1 Samuel 15, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. I want you to look at these three things, witchcraft, iniquity, and idolatry. Why? Because these are the things that Saul had. Saul, what I mean is this. Saul had put away witchcraft. He had put away idolatry. He had put away iniquity. It's implied. It's implied that Saul had been obedient in putting away these things from the land. You know what witchcraft is, I hope. But what about iniquity and idolatry? They were put away by Saul to some degree in his own life and in the land through his authority as the king. You say you've put away witchcraft from your home as they did in Acts. 
How much more should we do so today? If they did it with books, how much more should we do it with movies, which are even more influential, especially to your children, than a book is? But what about the other two things? Has iniquity and idolatry been put out of your living room? What is iniquity? In what way had Saul put away iniquity? Iniquity in the, uh, Webster's 1828 is injustice or unrighteousness. In other words, iniquity is the opposite of equity in the Bible. So in a specific sense, it means a lack of justice. If equity is just and level, iniquity would be that which is unjust, uneven, unlevel. So it means fairness. Iniquity is unfair. Psalms 99, the king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity, fairness, justice. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Malachi 2, the law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. So here's what we learn. The main definition, specific definition is injustice. However, because it means that which is uneven, therefore it's the opposite of that which is straight, it therefore is sometimes used for perverted. Perverted. Genesis 19. When the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. Not only were they unjust, they were perverted. They were real crooked. They were sodomites. So just as there are believers who have taken away witchcraft from their homes, so likewise there are believers who have taken away obvious forms of iniquity or perversion out of the land. And I believe Saul did the same thing. In fact, Samuel was still alive through much of his reign. And so you need to understand that Samuel would not have allowed sodomites in the land, you understand. So Saul stood against sodomites, you see. It says in 1 Kings 15 that Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did his father David. And he took away the sodomites out of the land and removed all the idols that his fathers had made. There it is. There it is. So likewise, Saul had removed the witchcraft. He had removed the idolaters. There's nobody bowing down to statues in the kingdom of Saul, at least not in public anywhere where they could be seen. You didn't have sodomites running around building houses and putting up banners and, and celebrating their sin there in the land of Israel. So Saul had stood valiantly against witchcraft, against idolatry, and against the sodomites and such like. But what did Samuel have to tell him? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Let me ask you the question. You say, there's no New Age games in my home. There's none of that occult superhero garbage antichrist force mess in my home. We don't watch movies about magic and sorcery that glorify witchcraft. We don't do it. What about idolatry? What about idolatry? 
Do you watch movies where they're bowing down to idols? What if the whole movie is about an idol? What about if the whole show is turning the main character into some messianic antichrist figure with superpower? And he's worshipped by the world. Do we have idolatry? I, I mean, to this, in, in this day and age, you have idolatry of sports stars. They, they put them up and celebrate them on their wall. They want to dress like them and act like them. They want to be them. And the sports stars give out like there's some great one. And they are worshipped. You've got music stars. People worship these actors and these music performers. Do movies glorify living for self? As an idol. Do they glorify living for money, mammon, as an idol? Do you say, I'm not going to watch this thing. It's glorifying covetousness as an idol. I'm not going to watch this thing. It's glorifying being some type of superstar and living for self. If these things were put out of the land by Saul, should they not be put out of the homes of New Testament believers? Do we not even have the holiness of a saw? Have we fallen that far? The Bible is saying that you should not only reject these sins, but burn anything that promotes them. And do it publicly. In other words, make it plain that you abhor these things as abominable and that you have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness and that you will not touch the unclean thing, let alone let it influence you. Make it plain to everybody. Let them know where your standard is. And I want you to understand something very important. If you live this way, you're not some great holy Christian yet. Okay? This isn't some great holy standard. This is just plain, simple, basic duty of every believer. A Sunday school child should know this. Mama, I don't want to do this. This is magic. The Lord doesn't like this, Mama. Out of the mouth of babes, amen? If you get rid of all the witchcraft and all of the idolatry out of the entertainment of your children, you are right about where Saul was in your holiness. Is that your standard? If you abstain from these things, even burn such things, are you then able to say, Blessed be thou of the Lord, preacher, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? 
And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. The rest we have utterly destroyed. God said, Destroy it all. Touch not the unclean thing. Like the sin of Achan, he took the Babylonian garment because he thought it looked really neat. Or maybe it had a lot of value. So in this age, like Saul, there is a rational, rationalizing, a justifying of sin. We're using it for good. It's teaching my child a lot of good things. There was some good in that movie. In other words, we're, we're giving it as a sacrifice unto the Lord. But we got rid of all the witchcraft. We just kept the best sheep. Because in our judgment, regardless of what God said, we, we think we can use this. We use our own judgment to determine whether something's bad. How it feels to me. How it seems. If it seems right to me, then it must be acceptable. You don't think for a second that maybe you are changing and losing and becoming desensitized as you lose day after day after day your conscience and your values and your standards. You have never been the standard. How you feel has never once in 6,000 years been the standard. The Word is always the standard. God's commandment has always been the standard. So Saul says, well, the people wanted it and we wanted to sacrifice and I just didn't think that it'd be wrong. You know what that is? Listen to me. That's, that's rebellion. That's rebellion. You're going to rebel against God. You are a rebel against God. God said, do it this way. You say, no, no, I don't think, uh, you know, I, I think I can still be holy and sacrifice to God and I'm going to do it my way. Let's see what the standard is by God Himself. Let's not just stop at the holiness of Saul, but let's go further. Listen to me, Church of God. First Samuel 15, verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now get this straight, because this is often misinterpreted. These words, as is, mean that they're on the same level in the eyes of God. That's what he's saying right here. When he says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, he means if you're going to be a rebel, that's like being a witch. That's just as bad as being a witch. If you're going to be stubborn with God, that's just as bad a sin as bowing down to an idol or being a sodomite. What would that mean in your life? Yes, I understand witchcraft is rooted in rebellion and is a form of rebellion, but that's not the point here. The point is that if you are against witchcraft and idolatry and perversion, but you're not against rebellion and stubbornness, you are inconsistent and deluded. That's like reading a list of sins in Galatians 5 and taking a few of them that you stand against, but allowing all the rest of them. That's like going to Romans 1 and looking at all those sins 
And so, well, these are some bad things. You got adulterers and all kinds of things. But then going down there and seeing disobedient to parents and thinking that, well, I'm going to delete that because I don't mind being disobedient to a parent. No, they're all in the same class, folks. Disobedient to authority, rebellion, stubbornness with authority is right there in the same class of deadly sins with witchcraft, iniquity, perversion, idolatry. Read it. Read Ephesians 5. Read Galatians 5. Read Romans 1 and see if this isn't true. In God's eyes, now I do understand there are degrees of witchcraft. I do understand there are degrees of idolatry. I do understand there are degrees of rebellion and stubbornness. But it's all bad. It's all bad. Just because you say, I'm just dabbling in it, God forbid. Don't dabble in rebellion. Don't dabble in sodomy. Don't just say, well, you know, I'm just with that crowd a little bit. God forbid. Don't touch it. Get far from it. Amen? Amen. I'll tell you this, ironically, that usually rebellion and stubbornness soon merge with these other sins. Where did Saul end up? At the witch of Endor. Do you see that? Do you see where you're going to end up? You say, well, I'm, I'm not getting into homosexuality. I'm not messing with witchcraft. I'm not bowing down to an idol. I'm just rebellious and stubborn. Oh, it won't be long, sister, before those other immoral sins of iniquity will be in your life openly. Don't play around with stubbornness and rebellion. Don't play around with it. Let me show you Proverbs 7. Just as Saul ended up with the witch of Endor, look at this stubborn woman where she ends up in adultery. It says, Proverbs 7, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. See, she's just playing around. She's not a harlot. She's just playing around wanting to look like one. And subtle of heart, she's loud and stubborn. There it is. That's right there in that list of sins. God says that that stubbornness is as iniquity. And guess what? It sure leads to it pretty quick. Her feet abide not in her house. So she caught him and kissed him, and he was not her husband. Rebellion against authority and stubbornness against authority are in the same category as being a witch, an idolater, or a sodomite. If you're trying to avoid the sins of sorcery and idolatry and open immorality, but that you think that rebellion and stubbornness against a head of a house, a head of a church, a head of a state is somehow acceptable, you're in a grave delusion. This is what's wrong with our country today. You have a few left, Church of God, that understand that witchcraft is wrong, that bowing down to idols is wrong, and that perversion's wrong. You have a few left that are bold enough to tell us, bold enough to preach about it, bold enough to get it out of their houses. But how many will run from stubbornness and rebellion with the same zeal? How many will attack it from the pulpit with the same zeal? How many will eradicate it out of their homes? Anything that glorifies rebellion against authority. Anything that glorifies rebellion, will you eradicate it out of your home? You say, hold on a second, preacher. 
In the Bible, being a witch was a death penalty. Old Church of God, rebellion against authority was a death penalty. Look at Deuteronomy 21. If a man have a, what's the word? Stubborn. And what? Rebellious? What did Samuel tell Saul? Stubbornness is as the sin. Rebellion is as the sin. If a man have a stubborn and rebellious son which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him will not hearken unto them, that's put in there. Because you can't just bring, my, my boy is rebellious. Well, did you chasten him properly? See, you, you can't enact the death penalty upon, maybe he's a grown son. I, I don't know how this all uh, was enacted exactly in the civil law. But you need to understand, they want to make sure that the parents are going to testify before all that we have chastened him and it didn't work. He's still rebellious. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him out into the elders of his city and into the gate of his place. And they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. There it is. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shalt thou put away evil from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Listen to me. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live was Old Testament Mosaic legislation. Thou shalt not suffer a rebellious, stubborn son to live was Old Testament Mosaic legislation. Okay? I want you to see that rebellion against authority is in the same category of severity with idolatry and witchcraft. What should or should not be the law of our land in modern times in regard to the death penalty is not my point here. The point is this. In God's eyes, rebellion and stubbornness in regard to a father or a mother is on the same level as being a witch or an idolater. Saul forgot this basic Old Testament teaching. Saul forgot this basic teaching. I'm going to get rid of the witches. I'm going to get rid of the idolaters. No sodomites in my realm. But I'm going to be a rebel and I'm going to be stubborn against authority. Folks, that's inconsistent. That's inconsistent. You say, no new age in my home. We're not going to watch a movie glorifying magic. We're not going to watch a movie bowing down to images. We're not going to watch a movie glorifying perversion, fornication, and homosexuality and such like. But you know how many Christian families around America sit down and they will watch for an hour or more a wife inside that home in that modern Christian movie speaking to her husband like he is a three-year-old child and going on and on and on and on and on, scene after scene with it. They will, they will sit here and watch a teenage child at 14 or whatever might be the case screaming at mama, screaming at daddy. And you will see by the end of the show, many times, mama or daddy apologizing. See? Or you might show by the end of the show, they get calm and they get okay and everything's all right. And you think it's justified to sit here and watch before your children who are easily confused 
and somehow or another, uh, do, do they make the point that this was wicked? Do they show punishment for that rebellion? Uh, is it a shocking thing? Uh, no, I tell you what, just as you are a father and they bow down to an idol and think it's good, just as they show some crucifix and somebody bowing down and praying to it, and you jump up and say, you yank the DVD and say, we're not watching this. We're not watching sorcery and magic and idolatry. We're not going to watch glorifying fornication. Not, not in my home. You ought to have the same zeal. If you're sitting there watching, you are sitting there watching, and you see a teenager speak to their parents inappropriately, you ought to get up and say, we're not watching this trash. I'm not going to sit here and listen to this child talking to their parent in this way because that is wicked. That is antichrist. That is just as bad as perversion. That is just as bad as any of these other sins. We've lost this today, church of God. Do you understand this? I would almost say that it appears to me that most Christians do not have that discernment to understand what Samuel said to Saul. If you know magic is wrong and you don't allow magic in your house, why are you allowing movies? Don't you think the world knows what they're doing? Don't you think they know that they're trying to teach women that this is how you treat the head of the house? That they're trying to teach children this is how you treat the head of the house? You don't understand that? Are you saying you can watch that over and over and over and not be affected by that behavior? Are you telling me your child can see that over and over and over and then when dad commands something, not want to live out the experience of that rebellious teen and talk to dad in the same way? Evil communications corrupt good manners. Be not deceived. And I'm afraid we've got churches all across America deceived about this. There's no fear of authority today. There's no fear to make sure that you're not speaking against it or rebelling against it. There are limits to all earthly authority in the home, church, and state. But we've gone so far that we're fulfilling biblical prophecies. There's little understanding of the verses that I'm about to read to you. Hosea 4, let no man strive nor reprove another. I think God's being sarcastic. He's saying you're just going to get a blot because it's going to get so messed up that anytime you correct somebody, they're going to have a fit. They're going to turn you in, try to kill you. It's so bad for thy people. Thy people are as they that strive with the priest. God, through the prophet, is saying things have got so bad that it's like somebody publicly arguing with the priest. Now you said, now wait a second. Am I not to discuss doctrine with the priest? Am I not to explain when I think he's wrong? Yes, in a proper way. A proper way just as you could talk to your mother, just as you could talk to your father, but you're not to strive with them. You're not to strive with them. See, it says in Job, uh, 1 Timothy 5, even a pastor of a church, if he had an aged man in his church, are you telling me the pastor can never ever tell the aged man that he's wrong? That's not what God's saying. But what is God saying? 
He's saying don't strive with him in a way that disrespects his authority. Even though you're the pastor and and you've got this mix going on here because he's aged and so he needs respect, but yet you are the pastor and you need respect, but yet there's going to be this this class. So there has to be a balance. There has to be a recognition of his authority as he recognizes your authority. And it says rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. Meaning that you got to gently deal with him in a way you should not be striving in a wrong way with the priest. You should not be striving with an aged man. Job 32. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. There was this respect that he had and he showed them respect. Young people should not run up and interrupt elderly people or older people or adults. You should wait your turn. You should understand that's an important thing to teach this manners to your children. Children should never run up and interrupt your conversation. If so, you should not glorify that and reward that. You should say, all right, now, I told you not to do that. You're going to get a spanking. Let's go to the car. You ought to deal with it. You understand? Don't you interrupt people. You have respect for adults. You wait till they are finished or wait till you've been invited to speak. You don't interrupt a conversation. And this is very important. And Elihu understood that. and He was a grown man. Deuteronomy 17, the man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken unto the priest that stands to minister there before the Lord thy God or unto the judge. I understand that we're all priests today in the Lord. And I also understand that we do have church leaders and church authority and there are pastors, there are elders. And we need to understand that there should be a respect There should be a respect of authority, uh, not some worship or some idolatry. There ought to be respect in the church. There ought to be respect in the home. There ought to be respect in the state. There ought to be respect with the policeman. There ought to be respect with the governor. And you never see Paul not having proper manners in dealing with authority, even when he had to totally go against them and teach them. Uh, You never see Daniel's three friends. They say, now we're not careful to answer thee, but they were very respectful. They never railed on the king. You understand that? Even John the Baptist, when he had to tell him he was doing wrong and says, it's not lawful. That's all he said as the prophet of God. It's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. And for that, he lost his head, but he didn't rail on the king. He didn't rail on the king. See, The man that will do presumptuously and will not hearken to the priest that stands or unto the judge. Even that man shall die and thou shalt put away evil from Israel and all the people shall hear and fear and do no more presumptuously. Now hold on a second. The child that will not obey or the son that will not obey his parents is to die in Old Testament legislation. The man that will not obey the priest or the judge is to die in Old Testament legislation. Why? Because they're presumptuous. They're presumptuous. All realms of authority have a responsibility to be obeyed when they're not commanding sin or something outside their domain. You better be careful. You better be careful with that. Let me show you. Children, uh, uh, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. You saw in the Old Testament, it's still New Testament. It's still in New Testament a responsibility, a New Testament responsibility. Look at Ephesians 5. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. 
Titus 2, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. This is what Solomon means. Stay in your place. Stay in your place. It doesn't mean you can't answer, but you better be careful how you answer and at what time you answer, you understand. Authority is to be followed. And if authority's out of line and you know it, you better make sure you know it and you better make sure God's on your side. And you better make sure that even then you handle it in the right way. That's what God tells the women in 1 Peter. If your husband's disobedient, let him be one without the word. In other words, there's a way to go about dealing with disobedience in an authority. And you better be careful in regard to it. Hebrews 13, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account. I'm telling you, every bit of this is not understood in this day and age. It is gone out the window, forever gone, generations buried in the dust. And you are suffering in America because of it, and we have God's judgment upon us because of this issue of authority. And when you get this right, there's revival. There'll be revival in your life. There will be power in your life. And there will be a closeness uh, to God like you've never had before when we get this thing straight. Let's, Let's deal with the state. We've dealt with the family. We've dealt with the church. Look at the state. Uh, Titus 3, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. But what happens in an age that will not endure sound doctrine? Well, this this is going to go out the window. They're going to be presumptuous. Presumptuous means you dare. You dare speak. When Miriam dared speak against Moses, well, that's just my brother, but he's also in a position of authority that God put him. You dare spoke against him with that railing accusation. She was given leprosy. And until Moses prayed, she had leprosy. Now understand, there is a generation that's going to be presumptuous. It says in Proverbs 30, there is a generation that curseth their father, curseth their father, and doth not bless their mother. You're supposed to be shocked at that. You're supposed to be shocked at that. But that's daily television in America today. 2 Timothy 3, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. You're supposed to be shocked. God forbid that such a time would come to our world where there would be disobedience to parents. Peter says, 2 Peter chapter 2, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. But dad said this, I don't care, daddy's not here. Dad's not here. I don't care. You despise your father's authority without fear? Presumptuous are they. Just like that person back over here that that presumed to disobey the priest and the judge. Presumptuous are they. Self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. That is their father, their mother, their pastor, their mayor, their magistrate, their boss. You're not afraid. You're not afraid. You say, well, there's a time to disobey, you know. You better believe there is. There's a time to obey God rather than man. You better believe it. But there's also a time to obey God by obeying your authority. And you better make sure you get that right. I better make sure I get that right. But God forbid you end up where you're just not afraid. You're not afraid to rail on authority. And I'm telling you, because sometimes the authority just needs to get back like Moses out of the way and watch the ground open up, see. Because you're not going to get anywhere very long doing that. You're not. Not in your Christian life. 
And not in your physical life, nine times out of ten. So I want you to know, the Bible said in the last days, they will not obey authority, and they will rail on authority, and they will not be afraid about it. They'll not only do it behind the authority's back, they'll do it right to his face. Well, you're being bossy. Well, you're out of line. You say, preacher, I don't permit anything with magic or fornication or homosexuality in my house or before my eyes. But what's included next to all of these filthy things? Despising authority, talking back in a sinful manner, answering again rebelliously. Therefore, there might be some movies that you would watch that if I went to your house and you set it before me, uh, I might get up and say, I'm not watching that. Oh, but you've got to watch it by the end. I'm not watching that. Just as I'm not going to watch somebody fornicate, I'm not going to watch somebody rebelliously speak against their parents in such a way. I'm not going to watch that garbage. I'm not going to watch somebody sit here and do such thing without rebuking it, without standing up and saying that's wrong for her to talk that way to her husband. That's wrong for him to talk this way to his dad. That is wrong and that is wicked. It's not just wrong, it's wicked. It's an abomination and it was the death penalty in the Old Testament. I want you to notice what Elijah is going to be preaching soon. You better pray, watch and pray always, be kind of worthy to escape what's coming, because pretty soon Elijah is coming to this earth, and he's going to start preaching. And I'm going to tell you something. He's going to be upholding this teaching that I'm giving you today. I'll prove it to you. He says in Malachi 4, he's basically going to tell the whole world, everything's getting cursed all around you because of this authority thing. So you children need to start obeying your fathers. You disobedient people need to start obeying your authorities. That's what he's going to say. That's what he's going to say. Look at it. I will send Elijah, Malachi 4, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the heart of children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now notice the Holy Spirit, when he interprets it in the spirit of Elijah. He says in Luke 1, he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the children to the children, the hearts of the fathers to the children. And notice now... Instead of children to their fathers, he puts disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So what's the Holy Ghost saying? He's interpreting Old Testament to mean when the hearts of the children turn to their fathers, he means that you no longer disrespect your authority. That's what he's saying. That you are no longer disobedient to your father. That's what he's saying. Elijah is saying, you better start obeying your father or you see all these hurricanes, you see these earthquakes, you see the sun scorching where you can't even go outside because you're burning to death. You see all this coming to the world. Worse things are coming unless you get on your face and start obeying your father and start obeying the authorities that are in your life. See, God is very serious. He was in the Old Testament and he's even more now serious about this authority thing. You, it might not be a big deal to you. I understand that. You've had generations of indoctrination, but it's serious to God. And God hasn't changed. You've changed. The churches have changed. Society has changed. God hasn't changed. He still judges it the same way. And Elijah's coming to try to explain why the judgments are here. They're here because of this authority issue. And because of the sorcery and the other things as well. So do the games and movies and videos that you set before your family glorify witchcraft, idolatry, and immoral filth? Hopefully you say no. So you've got to step in the right direction. 
But I pray, I pray you'll take a stand over people disrespecting authority in a movie. And I hope you will look at it just like they committed homosexuality. I hope you will look at rebellion and a lack of manners and disrespect to authority. And I hope you'll put it in the same class as fornication and witchcraft and idolatry. How did we lose it? Go back years ago, several years ago, and listen to a mo- uh, listen to a sermon that I gave on Bambi two called the blasphemy of Bambi, and what I explained to Christians years ago was listen you think this is a good movie because there's no homosexuality uh, sexuality no nakedness uh, no sorcery, but yet the whole point of the movie is he disobeyed his father and was blessed. You don't see the occultism in these Disney movies. And I went through and showed you, whether it's Benji movies, whether it's where the red fern grows, whether it's gentle Ben, you got movie after movie after movie, and the whole principal thing in the movie is, I rebelled against my father and was blessed. Folks, don't, do you see what the world has done to you? Do you see what the devil has done? The devil's saying, oh, you don't like nudity and cussing and witchcraft? That's okay. You don't care about rebellion because you're so stupid that you'll sit here and watch and set this before your children and I'll teach them rebellion, which is in the same class as witchcraft and idolatry. And pretty soon they'll end up in all those other sins. Because once a rebel, he's not just going to just rebel against uh, cleaning his room. You just wait and see as that rebellion grows up and matures what he's going to rebel in, see. Dad, I'm a homosexual. I'm a communist. So today you have rebellion against authority glorified, modeled, celebrated again and again and again and again and again. Glorifying. The rebellion ends well. The authority eats humble pie. Communists are behind it. Humanists are behind it. Satanists are behind it. They're mocking you because Christians have praised the secret and the shack and positive thinking. And they're laughing because you're embracing sorcery and you don't even know it. You're embracing Harry Potter and sorcery and you don't think there's anything bad by it, about it. But even when those things are absent, they're speaking against authority in these movies in a wicked way. It's so bad that if you go back to 1970s and watch how women spoke. Watch how daughters spoke to their fathers. And and believe me, the 1970s was a cursed time when sin and wickedness and wicked movies were prevalent. But there was a lot of magic and evil and sorcery. But they could not be so open and brazen as they are now. They still had to show some respect. And you will see. So it's like night and day. If you go back and just look, and I don't want you to, but I'm just saying if you did, you would see women acting in a way that puts to shame the modern Christian movies. See, This is an amazing thing. An amazing thing. It's so bad today that Christians don't even notice. Real quickly, as I wind down and close, I promise I'm going to tell you something here. 
I want you to know about where it started. It started in the 1950s with James Dean, as you know. I've explained this before. He shocked the world as the new rebel idol. Everybody wanted to be like him. Everybody wanted to start walking around in their T-shirts, which was underwear at the time. And they want to walk around and say, I'm in my underwear, I'm in my underwear. And the old man would say, what are you doing? Why don't you put some clothes on? But you could see through it, you know, and they'd walk around in their underwear. And he was cool, and he'd lift up his, his collar, you know. And, and everybody wanted to be James Dean. It was just a homosexual punk type of fella, but yet everybody wanted to copy him. And what did they do? They, they portrayed him as the rebel that everybody wanted to be. And so they would show him yelling at his father. It shocked the world. They had a scene where all of a sudden a son is yelling at his father and reacting toward him. Nobody had ever done that. It shocked the world. Now, the movie explained it that the dad was being henpecked by the mother and that the mother was bossing the dad around and that the psychologist at the time explained it, they even explained it in the show, that the, the weakness of a man in the home when he's being dominated creates a rebellious son. Back then they believed it created homosexual sons, it created rebellious sons, it created gangsters. And so here you've got James Dean drinking and, and he hears his father being belittled and being ruled by the mother and he screams out, I can't take it anymore or whatever, you know, whatever he said. And his whole point is he screamed at his father. And once the cat was out of the bag, once you let the water out, everything started duplicating it. So now you have Bonanza, which started out as a pretty bad show the first season, but then by the second season, you've, it moved to Sunday nights and Christians were coming home and they tried to model the show toward the Christians coming home from church. So they began to sit down, the Christians of America in the 60s, to watch Bonanza. And, and, and everything would go great. You would have some pretty good standards by today's standards. You know, you would have drinking, you would have dating, kissing before marriage. But there was a general respect for the man of the house. But notice... James, uh, uh, little Joe is the James Dean, see? He's the James Dean character. He dresses like him, acts, acts like him, and he has his emotional fits where he yells at his father and does things like And more and more, they began incorporating it and incorporating it to where, where we're at today. And uh, God forbid, what a horrible place we are in today. Just where the Bible said we'd end up. Where they'd have no fear of the father of the house. Here are the top... 20 Christian movies for the end of 2019. The first top, as far as money, as far as gross, is The Passion of the Christ. Isn't it sad that the top grossing Christian film of all time, or at least a 2019, is The Passion of the Christ? Full of pornographic actors... J -j -j just, just mocking you Christians. Mocking us Christians. Full of gore, violence, nakedness, even having the lewd actor moon, the, uh, uh, the, so supposedly the resurrected Jesus, and he shows his backside. Just, just mocking. And then Mel, Mel, Mel Gibson makes millions and goes out and gets drunk and cusses and just makes fun of believers, you know. But they all went and ate popcorn and watched gore as this fella just stripped and is punished and just gory, gory. That's not even the, the holiness of Saul. You understand that? Well, we're not even to the place of Saul's holiness. The next three top grossing films are the Chronicles of Narnia series. 
amazing. We're not even to the holiness of Saul. So now we have violent gore and nakedness and lewdness. And now we have magic. Magic. Sorcery. You're not even to the place of Saul's holiness yet. C.S. Lewis, who is a genius in many ways, nevertheless sinned and erred greatly when he made magic and spell books seem like a fun, cute thing for children. And he even says, don't you think this is an allegory? Don't think these books are an allegory. I didn't start from a Christian principle and went back and tried to make a nice allegory. He said, no, I started with the elves or, 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 or these pagan things. I started with the pagan myth. And then I kind of interwove some suppositions into it. So he has the idea that de devils and sorcery is playful and that all God is is a big witch who has a better magic than the devil does. See, that was the link and justification for Harry Potter to enter into the churches. You understand? After the Passion and the Narnia series movies, Heaven is for Real, which doesn't seem to be all that bad. I mean, there's a lot of bad in it. I, I, I didn't watch any of these other things. I've never seen them and I never will. Uh, Heaven is for Real. Belief in a Bible story and a fairy tale are presented as synonymous and a good thing. Believe the fairy tale because it's just by faith. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. Just believe it and that's somehow another good. Um, Christians are flocking. The little boy supposedly sees heaven and everybody's amazed because we don't believe our Bible anymore. The prophecies aren't good enough. We need validation by experience. See? And... and uh, Anyway, the family shown singing a wicked queen song as if the pastor uh, sings queen who, who is a sodomite with his family. And the little boy asks the angels, can we sing uh, the queen song? And all the angels laugh as if that's so cute and funny. Uh, you know, th there's so much more. Uh, the wife explodes in anger at her husband. And that's a big dramatic scene where she scolds him and throws dishes and... and uh, You could go on to see the shack is at number 11 with its new age blasphemy. Let me give you a couple verses and we'll close. If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place, for yielding pacifies great offenses. Church of God, one of the greatest things you could do sometimes is just hang on and not move. One of the greatest things you could ever do in your fight is just stay put. And when authority rises up against you, one of the greatest things you can do is just stay in your place. Just stay in your place. Stay in your place. And the Lord is the ultimate authority, so we better apply it to our Lord. When He rises up against you, don't leave your place. Don't leave your place with the Lord. It says in Psalms 2, Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. What does that mean? It means you better submit to the Son because you can perish if He just gets a little angry. Hebrews 12 says, We have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. See, Paul lived at a different age. 
See, how you respond to correction shows whether you reverence authority or not. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? Holy Father, we do pray in the name of the Lord Jesus that we would reverence you, God, that when you correct us, we will not faint, we will not despise it, we will not sin, we will not get sinfully angry at you and talk back to you. We do pray, Father, that you'll forgive us anywhere we have not had reverence for you. Lord, you tell us that a servant will not be corrected by words, that those that are destined to miss the kingdom, those that are destined to be the tell in life and never to prosper or be promoted are people that cannot be corrected. I pray every young person here will understand this, that it's a glorious thing to allow yourself to be corrected and to be able to remain patient and remain in our place. Lord, may we all practice it with our authorities. For, Father, we are all very impatient in this generation. We are all very presumptuous and rebellious. Uh, and, Lord, forgive us for that. Father, for we want to win your kingdom. We want to be pleasing to you, Lord. Help us always remember that rebellion and stubbornness against authority in whatever realm is as the sin of witchcraft. Father, let us please remember that and let there be great revival that comes from it, Father. I pray that these parents, these heads of homes, these mothers, these fathers, and these older brothers and sisters, I pray that they'll take a stand right now, Lord, and they will show what side they are on, holy God. And they will burn the DVDs and the games and everything that disrespects authority, everything that has a proud look. Everything that is full of magic and occultism and all of these wicked things, Father, that are an abomination to you. And Holy Jesus, bring that great revival. We pray we'll be part of it. Forgive us, Father. Have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.